Hey there, it's Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR. Before we get into the next episode, I wanted to ask that you subscribe to the show. It'll help us get even more unique and interesting guests on the podcast and in turn continue to educate management teams and the growing ecosystem that creates value for fast-growing private and public companies. And while you're at it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Very much appreciated. I realized um, that franchising was going to be the success of this business, of growing it. And so I converted the whole business to a franchise-only model, and then it really took off from there. Acquiring a business and then figuring out the best way to make it grow takes creativity. The franchisee is my customer. It's not the guy eating the burger or the chicken wings. The franchisee is who pays me every week a royalty off his sales. So it's critical that he makes money. So our whole focus is this is the customer. Being a public company can be hard. Small missteps can have outsized consequences. I'm Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR, and over the last 20 years, we've helped thousands of companies understand and navigate the stock market and the media. We'll demystify these and other increasingly complex stakeholder groups so you can focus on what you do best, building your company, and unlocking your true potential. This is Welcome to the Arena. Success in the restaurant industry can be very tricky, but today's guest has really nurtured the built-in organic growth opportunities in his business with excellent results. On this episode, we're sitting down with Andy Wiederhorn, president and CEO of Fat Brands, which trades under the symbol F-A-T. Fat Brands is a global franchising company that acquires, markets, and develops a range of casual and quick-service dining restaurant concepts. Andy made his first restaurant acquisition in 2003 with Fat Burger and went on to acquire Buffalo's Cafe in 2011 and Ponderosa and Bonanza Steakhouses in 2017. That same year, he took Fat Brands public. Andy continued Fat Brands' aggressive acquisition strategy over the next few years, striking deals with legacy brands including Johnny Rockets, Roundtable Pizza, Marble Slab Creamery, and Great American Cookies, to name a few. He also struck deals with Twin Peaks, Fazoli's, and Native Grill and Wings. The Fat Brand portfolio features 17 restaurant concepts with more than 2,300 locations worldwide. Andy's been incredibly busy for the last 20 years, but he was able to join us to talk about the company's history, growth, and their strategy for the years to come. Let's enter the arena with Andy Wiederhorn. Oddly enough, I grew up in the restaurant business working in my former father-in-law's restaurant as a dishwasher and a busboy and worked my way up from there. And I swore when I went to college, I would never be in the restaurant business. So I started a, a specialty finance company in the late 1990s that grew and grew and also went public and which ultimately became our, our family office holding company. And uh, went back to my roots making an investment in 2003 to buy the Fapperger restaurant chain when it only had 40 restaurants. Uh, 20 were franchised and 20 were company-owned stores. And it was really an investment to do a management buyout more so than to be in the restaurant business. And uh, here we are today, and it's quite a bit bigger. Yeah, here you are. Obviously, going back in time to that first uh, acquisition with Fatburger, what were the mechanics of the deal coming to you and the opportunity? And what did you see in it that you, you felt, hey, you know, this is something that I can use as a foundation? 
Interestingly enough, our, our family office vehicle became sort of a specialty finance company making special situation loans like hard money loans and buyouts and, and distressed real estate deals. And so the management team came to us and they had an ownership relationship with a bunch of celebrities, Magic Johnson, Janet Jackson, Darren Starr, Cher, a bunch of celebrities owned the Fabrica brand and the, and the management team wanted to do a buyout. And so we funded the buyout. And then as we got into the business a little bit, we decided, you know, this thing could really be scaled on the franchise side of things. And so we converted our debt instrument into pure equity and we grew the business and the rest is history. Um, Fatburger itself has 200 restaurants today up from the 40 when we bought them uh, 20 years ago. At the time of the acquisition, did the company need some operational help as well? Well, Fabriker was a very small business with only 40 restaurants and half of them franchised back in 2003 when we made that investment. So they, they really had a very pieced together team at the time because they were small and trying to make money and grow. And, you know, I realized um, that franchising was going to be the success of this business, of growing it. And the first thing we had to do was really get through the 2007, 8, 9 recession and, and all of that stuff. And so during that process, I converted the whole business to a franchise only model. And then it really took off from there. So when you're when you're out there looking for brands and you've been unbelievably active in the last 20 years in acquiring brands, what things are you looking for to like tick off the list, Andy, that that are kind of must haves for you when you go through the acquisition process? Well, certainly we look at categories. So we're in the QSR category, the fast casual category, the casual and the sports bars. We're not in fine dining. We've tried to stay away from fine dining and anything that's too specialty food oriented. Um, like a sushi or Korean barbecue might be a little bit too complicated for us to franchise. But we're also looking for brands that have a proven track record. They, they've got some history to them. So we're looking for a good 10 years or more of history behind a brand that really shows it can withstand the test of time. And, you know, as a franchise company, you're kind of looking for brands that have five or more restaurants in five or more markets or so. So they've proven that they can work in different environments. And those are kind of things you start out with. And then, then it's all about the unit economics. The portfolio as it stands today, how does it all fit together diversification-wise uh, for investors? How do you kind of talk about it to the outside world? Yeah, it's really interesting. It's sort of in five categories. Uh, again, the QSR category, which has like pizza and cookies and ice cream and snacks in it. And there are uh, our Enfazoli's, our Italian drive through brand. And so all that QSR stuff, that has two different brand presidents running those, those five or six brands in, in the QSR category. And then we have Fast Casual. That's sort of our better burger brand, like Johnny Rockets, Fat Burger, Elevation Burger. And again, has a brand president running that group. And then uh, Casual Dining, things like Ponderosa, Bonanza, our, our Chicken Wings, brands, Hurricane Buffalo's Native Wings, all together in a group there. And then the sports bars, Twin Peaks, that's really a separate business all by itself because they're doing 49% alcohol. And it really is a sports bar and a bar business that you're running, not just um, burgers. Like on the casual dining side, you might do 25% alcohol. And then finally, the fifth category is our manufacturing operation. We actually have a plant in Atlanta that makes cookie dough and pretzel mix and different things like that for our franchisees. And that's a big part of our business. That'll make... $15 million this year out of our 90 something million dollars of adjusted EBITDA. So it's really a big component. Yeah, very cool. And over 2000 units, where are they geographically and kind of what do you see as the potential? Let's just say five years from now, what could, what could the portfolio be? What could the units be? Where could you be geographically? Well, Tom, what's really interesting is we have 
more than 2,300 restaurants either open or under construction today across those 17 brands. But we have another 1,000 restaurants that have been bought and paid for by franchisees with development schedules to open those restaurants over the coming five or six years. So we'll open this year 125 restaurants, but next year it'll be closer to 175 units. And that should be that pace going forward. So our business will grow by more than 50% just by letting those new stores open over the coming years. Obviously, tons of stuff going on in the macro environment with inflation and all, you know, war in Europe and all of that. Are there certain concepts within the portfolio that are doing very well in this environment? How do you gauge the performance of the portfolio today? So today we're 95% franchise, only 125 company-owned stores. Uh, We do business in 40 different countries around the world and 48 U.S. states. And the growth, that 1,000-unit pipeline, is about six or seven brands. It's not all 17 brands. We don't have 200 more Ponderosa and Bonanzas to be built, but we definitely have 200 or 300 more Johnny Rockets and Fatburgers to be built, and 100 Roundtable Pizzas, and another 100 Twin Peaks, and so on. And Fazoli's has 100 um, Italian drive throughs So there's six or seven of those brands that have real growth behind them. Interestingly enough, on the polished casual dining side, and then on the QSR and fast casual side. And, uh, you know, we have, look, we have some openings in our portfolio. We don't have a salad concept yet. We don't have a sandwich concept yet or, or a coffee concept. But honestly, we have 17 brands and we're, and we're just so big today that probably the 25th largest restaurant company uh, by unit count. And you know, just building out that existing portfolio is really a top priority for us. Yeah, it's huge. And you know, I think a lot of people might think that franchising is an easy business, but you need to support your franchisees and, and uh, have a great management team. What's the trick to really being great at, at being a franchise company? Well, you have to think about it this way. The franchisee is my customer. It's not the guy eating the burger or the chicken wings. The franchisee is who pays me every week a royalty off his sales. So it's critical that he makes money. If he makes money, he's going to build more restaurants and pay us more royalties. And if he doesn't make money, we all know what's going to happen. So our whole focus is this is the customer. Support the customer. Help them run their business. Make sure they know how they're making money on a weekly basis, not a monthly basis or annual basis looking at their P&Ls. They need to run their business on a weekly basis, know their food costs or labor costs, things like that, and make adjustments as needed. And so we coach them a lot on the financial side of things because we want to make sure that they have their eye on the ball. Um, of course, we want the, the end guest to be taken care of and have a great experience, but the franchisee needs to know how to make money. I saw that uh, in the portfolio, there's some co-branding going on with different concepts, you know, like Fat Burger with Buffalo Express being connected physically. What are the benefits of, of doing that? And are there other concepts that seem to fit like that? Well, yeah. So we've been very successful with co-branding. We started in 2012 with Fat Burger and Buffalo's Express, which we nickname Fat Buff. And we have more than 100 of those units today. We've also started co-branding Johnny Rockets with Hurricane Wings and adding just a wing product. Uh, and wings and burgers go well together. People share them. So that's been really our, our sort of driver. And then the, the other place where we've done quite a bit of co-branding, we've got more than 100 of these also, is our cookies and ice cream business, our Marble Slab Creamery and our Great American Cookie Company. Putting those together where you can get cookies and ice cream in the same same restaurant or um, food court or whatever is, is, has been you know very successful. Yeah. Yum. Is it more of a cost thing or a revenue thing or kind of both, Andy, when you think about the co-branding? So 
the incremental cost is very modest because you, you already have everything in place. It just may be some more equipment, a couple of fryers or some, some assembly tables or some signage, things like that, or on, on the cookies and ice cream side, you know, it's ovens or it's freezers, but it really spreads that rent cost out and it, and it gives the operator 20 or 30% higher average unit volumes by having the, the second concept under one roof and, and one rent payment. So it's really, really beneficial. In this environment where financing has been, you know, maybe the credit markets have tightened up a little bit, do you think that there will be a lot of opportunities to to find and, and acquire different brands where you might have a gap in the portfolio? Do you think in this environment more deals are going to come to you guys? We have seen a tremendous amount of seller activity in the last 12 months. You know, we in, in 2021, we spent a billion dollars buying the last eight or nine brands, and we, and we bought Johnny Rockets during COVID in 2020. But I really looked at 2022 and said, I need to absorb and digest what we've already acquired and make sure that we're integrating it onto our platform. In 2022, we had a, just a slew of deals come to us. But look, the valuations and the seller's expectations were probably disconnected from the reality of the market and, and a three or 400 basis point increase in rates. And then, you know, the financial markets in terms of what they're willing to finance in the restaurant space, it's a little bit different today than it was, you know, certainly a year ago or, or year and a half ago. So I think that reality has to set in to sellers. Um, you've seen valuations come down by at least a couple turns of EBITDAs. We have been successful at selling bonds in this environment. We've been able to raise uh, somewhere between one and two hundred million dollars, even in the in the twenty twenty two crazy interest rate environment. So, um, you know, there, there is money out there, as you say. It is more particular. It is more expensive. It is more structured. But it's there if there's a deal that makes sense. It's just that I'm not sure sellers, for the most part are ready to accept the drop in valuations that you, you know, 2021 was an incredible year for everyone. 2022 was a bear and 2023 probably is going to be the same. In the restaurant sector, having a background in finance gives you a tremendous edge. That's certainly true for Andy, whose experience in specialty finance has helped ensure success for fat brands and its franchisees. Certainly, being a, a finance guy in the restaurant space is unique, and and my I have a big team of finance guys with me as well, and so we're real, really running this to make sure that we understand how the business is making money. I'm not an artist in the food business, you know, in love with my product. I care that my franchisees make money, and then I know how to finance the company where it's got non-recourse debt, it's got 30-year fixed rate debt, things like that that are very different while we build value at the different brands. And so, you know, that's been a key initiative for us for a long time. It took us a, a little while after we went public to get our first securitization done. But once we did, we really hit the ground running and we grew the business to the size it is today where we wanted it to get to. So, you know, I, I think that that's a differentiator for sure all day long. Back to the manufacturing, this seems like a huge opportunity and maybe currently a little bit underutilized. How can you continue to improve that? Because it's obviously making a lot of money on its own. What are the plans and how do you see it evolving over the next few years? Yeah, we love this manufacturing business. Our factory based in the Atlanta area is only running at one third capacity today. It's running one shift a day, not three. So we're not running an evening shift or a graveyard shift. And so we really have significant capacity to grow that business. And whether that's manufacturing more cookies or more pretzels or more snacks for our 2000 restaurants instead of just the 600 or so pretzel and cookie businesses, that's one option. And the other is doing third party manufacturing for other 
people. And we're, we're definitely on the hunt for that kind of business and in negotiations to add to that business. So that's going to be a big 2023 initiative for us is to fill up that manufacturing operation and take advantage of that excess capacity. And, the, and our franchisees love it because they're getting cookie dough or pretzel mix or whatever they get from us at like a 20% lower cost than they would have to pay from a third party distributor. And we're still making a great margin. So everybody wins there. And we really want to focus on that component of the business in 23. Seems to me, Andy, that when you acquired Fatburger and you you kind of took your time in the beginning, kind of getting all of that right. How did you and the team like integrate that so that you kind of were set up for the next few years of kind of harvesting that and uh, and generating returns on that capital? It must have been kind of a bear of a job to kind of get all of that organized and integrated. The biggest one that we had to swallow was Global Franchise Group, which was five brands and 1,400 restaurants, and, and they're five different brands, so it was really you know, quite, quite an acquisition to swallow. But integrating them onto one, with one back office, one accounting department, one legal department, one corporate headquarters, things like that, it took us a year to do it, but, but it, it worked out very well. We still have different marketing departments for the different brands and, and different operations people for the different brands. The one brand that we really left separate was Twin Peaks. I mean, like I said earlier, it really is is a different business because it's a sports bar with 49% alcohol sales versus anywhere from zero to 25% alcohol sales in the other brands. We paid $300 million for that brand in 2021. And that brand could be worth a billion dollars in a couple more years if they build out that hundred and something unit pipeline. They're at 95 stores up from 80 when we bought them, but they will be well on their way to 200 units uh, in the next few years. And that brand is just going to be gigantic. So we thought leaving it separate made a lot of sense that we didn't want to screw it up by trying to integrate it. And then everybody has kind of a, a COVID pandemic uh, nightmare story, but these acquisitions kind of came during the pandemic. What was that experience like just kind of getting through that? Well, my philosophy during COVID was I would much rather be hunting than being hunted. And it was really an opportunity to go out and you know, with our financing partners, show them that these were brands that could withstand the test of time, that COVID would come and go. These brands would, would make great acquisitions for us and our, and our plan would work. And it did. And they were supportive. And we have some of the largest investors in, in the world who, who manage billions of dollars. And, you know, they really stuck by us and helped us, you know, execute here. And it was, we've created a lot of value and there's a lot of value to go just with the development pipeline already in place. So um, it was a great time to make those acquisitions. You know, certainly you're dealing with all of the nuances that we all had to deal with, working from home, lockdowns in the restaurant space. We all dealt with outdoor dining. We were, we were fortunate. We could serve food. We could serve alcohol. You could sell things to go. Um, and then in California, we had our burger brands. And so there's a lot of delivery and to go with Uber Eats or Postmates or DoorDash or all, all of those services. So, you know, we were fortunate. Um, we didn't have any fine dining restaurants that, you know, really got beaten up where you had to close the dining rooms and, you know, Certainly Ponderosa and Bonanza got beat up. Um, you couldn't really do an all-you-can-eat buffet to go, right? That just didn't work. So those restaurants, we had a number of closures, which was unfortunate, but we definitely made up for it on the acquisition side. Like in a situation like that, are you sharing best practices across the portfolio with management teams and what everybody is doing? We coached our franchisees constantly. We had seminars and webinars with them over and over again about how to get government assistance, how to do third-party delivery. We already had it in place in most cases, so it really we were ahead of the curve there. But but just and you know helping them financially uh, react to get funds that they needed, how to get the PPP loans or the SBA loans, those kind of things. Now the employee retention tax credit. So all those things. It was very important to coach the franchisee and stay with, in touch with them, make sure they understood how to manage their margins and their 
labor costs and things like that, close their dining rooms, but open their delivery windows, things, anything that, to generate sales and keep their, their people employed. How are the chains navigating kind of the inflation part of this coming out of COVID? That's uh, not easy. Uh, consumers are stretched. How are they approaching that? Right. We've been very clear with our franchise partners that they have to take price. They've got to, they've got to react to inflation and maintain their margin because if they don't, they're going to go out of business. They've got to make money. And customers know there's going to be price increases associated with inflation. So that was a key initiative we entered into early on. And we balanced that with telling our franchise partners, you got to give the customer some value here. You can't just raise prices and say, well, inflation costs are up. Everybody else is raising prices. So are we? Because you're not keeping any customer loyalty. So we coach them on find some value propositions like chicken prices have come down over the last year considerably. Okay, for a basket of chicken wings, give them a, a basket and a half for the same price. Give them something that makes up for that huge sticker shock they're seeing when they when they go out to eat. And you know, look at what it's like going to the grocery store, right? It's so expensive at the grocery store, up like 30% in some areas. You can really justify being in a restaurant because it's now comparable to buying it in the grocery store and cooking it yourself. So coaching franchisees how to market and position those things and give value was, was important. Looking ahead, what can we expect from uh, fat brands in 23? You have to think what the Fed's doing is going to kind of maybe slow inflation. What do you see for 23? What kind of growth uh, are you looking for and that you've told investors? 22 has had very strong positive same-store sales growth, albeit at a slowing rate as we got into the second half of the year and saw prices really kick in. So a little bit less um, positive same-store sales than earlier in the year where they were double-digit, but now single-digit. That's still good. I think 23 will be some of the same. I think that we, in our case, we have a, a, a lot of stores to open. We'll open somewhere between 150 and 175 new stores next year, and that's a big push for us. That 1,000-unit pipeline I've spoken about a couple times here represents another $50 million of EBITDA to our business. So we go from like 90 to 140 or so million dollars just by opening those stores. So it's very important. We're going to focus on that factory business. And it, it wouldn't surprise you that we might make another acquisition or two uh, in 2023. No, absolutely. And um, in order to do all those things, you have to have an exceptional team. Talk about your team uh, at the corporate level, kind of the experience and the people that you have around you. Yeah, you know, we're really fortunate. We probably have 25 senior management team members now, many of whom joined Fat Brands because we acquired brands and we were able to cherry pick the, the best of the best to, to join our team and stick with us. And so for us to have all these different brand presidents, to have a head of purchasing, a, a chief financial officer, a head of capital markets for debt or equity, things like that, we're, we're just um, very opportunistic. And so um, that's really helped us. And, and to have such a strong diverse group, whether it's franchise sales or operations. And so it's not really, you know, just a small business like we were a number of years ago where we had a few hundred restaurants and it was a tight little team. Today, we are a gigantic company. There's 250 corporate team members at Fat Brands and, you know, 25 really senior uh, leadership people. I always ask this to, to CEOs because I was a former analyst for 10 years and um, you meet with companies all the time. When you're meeting with investors and they kind of don't get it, what do you think they miss about the company and kind of the value that you have built and are building? Well, I think they need to understand the scale. And so one of the things I think that was important was to put up numbers this year that really showed that this integration and this sort of roll-up play, if you will, um, to, to build a, a conglomerate of brands um, would work. And so, you know, we've had some very strong adjusted EBITDA numbers through the first three quarters of the year. We'll, we'll have something similar in Q4. And so we feel really solid about how our year is going to look. And I think that's, this is the first year where it's a level playing field. We're not 
We didn't add new brands during 2022 to our portfolio. So you can really see a full year of absorbing and see a run rate out of us. And then you can take our pipeline and add that on. And the last piece I'll speak to about that is really leverage because certainly we used quite a bit of debt to make these acquisitions, a little bit of equity also, but, but quite a bit of debt. And people worry, are you too levered? And what's the plan there? And I point to the fact that we have another... 50 to $60 million of EBITDA to come out of that pipeline, which naturally delevers us. As our earnings grow from 90 to $150 million, that's going to delever us without any additional you know, debt that we take on. That's number one. Number two is that some of the assets in our portfolio have increased or will increase dramatically in value, like our factory. If we take that factory from $15 million of EBITDA or 33% capacity to 30 or $40 million of EBITDA, that asset by itself is worth four or $500 million. And so we could always sell an asset like that and massively reduce our debt. So there's a bunch of ways to do that. And I always want to make sure that investors understand that. They're not just thinking that it's, our, it's the uptick on a monthly basis of our current earnings, but they need to see the value that we're creating within the portfolio. Fat Brands is one of those businesses that has all the right ingredients. They have a large number of units coming online, significant manufacturing potential, and they're asset light. On top of that, they have a stellar management team. At Welcome to the Arena, we're working really hard to bring you exciting guests and great content. If you found this episode insightful, subscribe to the show on your podcast app and leave us a five-star rating. The more the show grows, the more interesting voices we can have on the podcast. And in turn, that should demystify a lot of the stakeholders around public companies and soon to be public companies. Thanks for listening. I want to thank Andy Wiederhorn for being my guest today. Andy's finance background and his sharp instincts have led Fat Brands through a tough few years in the restaurant industry, and the company just keeps going from strength to strength. I'm looking forward to checking in with them down the road. This is Tom Ryan. We'll see you next time back in the arena. References to specific stocks are not intended to be recommendations for specific trading behavior. Comments presented on this podcast are intended for informational and educational purposes only and do not represent opinions or recommendations on whether to buy, sell, or hold shares of a particular stock. All investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual stocks before making a trading decision. In addition, investors are advised that past stock performance is no guarantee of future price performance.